So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, please. The first verse is really the, is the introduction to this whole first 12 verses. So I want to read through that as you just follow along as I read. Finally, which means in conclusion, as I draw what my letter to here to an end, now the conclusion happens to, happens to last chapter 4 and 5. Finally, brethren, in other words, he's writing to Christians, he's writing to believers. Uh, brethren is also a term of endearment. In other words, there, there is a, uh, a love there, as he talked early in the chapter, as a mother, as a father towards their own child. We urge and exhort. There's both encouragement, and, you'll, and as you read through the book of Thessalonians, you'll find encouragement as well as challenge. So we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more. appreciate Nancy's testimony this morning. She says, well, the Lord's been teaching me. Listen, we never stop growing. We should never stop learning. We should never stop changing. And I mean spiritually speaking here. As our knowledge increases, our life ought to be changing along that process. We ought to be sensitive to the Spirit of God working in, in our lives that you should abound more and more. Never stop changing. Never stop growing. Just as you receive from us, uh, the point is, much of what he's telling them here in the book of Thessalonians, it's not new. This is not something new. Uh, just as you receive from us how you ought. Now, the word ought carries with it the aspect of responsibility and duty. So as we read through these verses here, these first 12 verses, just as you ought, just as you your responsibility, your duty to carry these things out. Just as you ought to walk. Now walk, of course, is movement as well as progress and to please God. Uh, this is not, not two distinct activities to walk and please God, but we are, we are to have a God-pleasing God walk, or as the title of the message, God-pleasing conduct. And as we, as we have God-pleasing conduct, that's the things we're going to look at. Now, uh, I wanted to share this uh, statement with you. Uh, Martin Luther, in commenting on, on this section of verses, it's it just interesting. This life is not godliness, but growth in godliness. Not health, but healing. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. The process is not yet finished, but it has begun. We, we are to have God-pleasing conduct. And as we look through this, these 12 verses, even as we're coming to the last message from them, this, this is how we are to conduct ourselves. We are, we are, first of all, as I uh, pointed out there, we're to walk in holiness in verses 1 to 8. You and I are to walk in holiness. And then verses 9 to 10, we're to walk in harmony. Walk in holiness, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Then at the end of those verses, it says, For God did not call us to un uncleanness, but to holiness. When you think of Christ's prayer in the garden before he was uh, betrayed and then uh, arrested and uh, tried and then crucified, as he was praying for his disciples, and notice, notice he says, he said, I'm not praying that you should take them out of the world, but that you would sanctify them through your truth, and your word is truth. He didn't pray for their happiness. He prayed for their holiness. And so Paul is challenging these believers here, you know, if you're going to have God-pleasing conduct, you need to walk in holiness. The second thing is, we look at verse 9 and 10, is walk in harmony. But, be, but concerning brotherly love, we urge you, brethren, to increase more and more. Our care, our concern, 
our empathy, our help, our assistance. Uh, more, maybe all you can do is, I'm praying for you. But, it, but it's, this is the love towards the brethren, towards each other, towards other believers. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the unbelievers later in, the, in uh, verses today. Mark Eckert's father passed away this week, his funeral. Well, this, we empathize. We pray for him. We care for them. As a church, we, we sent uh, flowers to the, to the funeral. We, we want him to know, we want the family to know that we have that type of the feeling to, toward them. This is, this is what it means to become, but concerning brother love, we urge you, brethren, to increase more and more. In other words, just don't, okay, so that happened once. Don't stop there, but it should be continued to overflow with abundance. Which brings us then to our verses today. Verse 11, uh, 11 and 12. Walk in honor. Walk in honor. Uh, honor is a, uh, not necessarily an easy word to define. Uh, I would say maybe it's most noticeable in its absent, however it is we define it. Uh, this is a definition I found, I, and, and uh, seriously, uh, it was difficult to find a good definition of honor to try to, to capture it. So I'm going to kind of do some illustrations and things to help us get the aspect of what, what am I talking about, to walk in honor. Defined, it's a reputation worthy of respect and, and admiration. What is honor? Honor is a reputation worthy of respect and admiration. Walk in honor. To be respected and admired. Thomas Carlyle said it this way. You show me the man you honor, the men you honor, and I will know what kind of man you are. You show me the kind of men that you honor, and I will know the kind of man that you are. Mark Twain said it this way, It is better to deserve honor and not receive it than to receive honor and not deserve it. To be respected and admired. Two words that, that assist us, I think, in our understanding of honor would be character and commitment. Simply this. There's all kinds of definitions you can have of character, but simply this. Character is to do the, to do the hard right. Commitment is to do the hard right, not the easy wrong. If you get that. That's an easy way to remember. What is, what is character? It's to do the hard right. What is commitment? It's to do the hard right, not the easy wrong. I'm committed to it. We talk about a commitment to membership. You're committed to that. So honor. We have an honor code, some in, most pronounced in our military academies. They live by what's called an honor code, which simply means this student's are trusted to govern themselves in regards to an established standard of acceptable behavior. It's an honor code. Respected, admired. There's the field of honor. Back in the 17th, even on to the early 20th century, upper-class men in Europe and the United States regularly engaged in duels on the field of honor because they felt to defend some injustice or intentional offense of their good name. The field of honor. The Declaration of Independence includes this statement. The signers, as they sign, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The admiration, the respect to walk in honor 
to be honorable men. Verse 11 and 12. So how can I walk in honor? Well, first of all, in verse 11, with dignity. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life with dignity. To aspire to lead a quiet life. Let me just talk about two words, aspire and quiet. Aspire is, is uh, to move from desire, from want, uh, even to admire others, to aggressively pursuing it, to capture it. Uh, I may admire honors, honesty in others, don't you? I may, on, I may honor and respect and appreciate trustworthiness, people who keep their word. Don't you do that also? But it's going beyond just admiring that in others and pursuing it aggressively. That you are aggressively pursuing honesty. That you are progress, uh, proactively pursuing being trustworthy yourself. It's not just something you admire in others, but you are trying to seek to instill it in your own life. That means, that's what it means to walk in honor, with dignity, to aspire to it. And in this case, aspire to lead a quiet life. Quiet here has to do with a confidence from a balanced perspective on life, faithful to duty, God's in charge, from a restlessness, a fanatical excitement, to a restfulness, to have a, that sense of calm, that sense of peace, to walk with dignity, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, from restlessness to restfulness. The point, I believe, is this, or that I'm trying to make. For some, life is a crisis. The world is in trouble for them or because of them. If we're going to walk in honor, we need to walk with dignity to aspire to lead a quiet life. The second thing, to, with discernment, uh, to mind your own business. Again, two things I want to point out there, to mind and own business. To mind. Sometimes in Scripture, it's a reference to attitude. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Sometimes it is reference to our intellect or knowledge. I believe here it is to remain focused, not easily sidetracked by competing distractions. It's like the horse that is running that has, or leading the carriage that has the blinders on, so it's not easily distracted. It's uh, in, uh, I, I've told you I love football season, but uh, did I tell you that? Anyway, in, in, not my terminology may be right because it's been years since I've played, obviously. Uh, but in football, there's usually your star player on offense and maybe a halfback and maybe a quarterback. So defensively, we set up what's called a spy. This spy is to totally key on, on that, that one player. That's their sole responsibility. They are not to be distracted by any fakes, they are not to be distracted by any other players. They are to fight off any blocks. They are to be totally focused on, on that one player. And whether that player has the ball or hands off the ball, he's to always be hit. This is the spy's responsibility. He's not to be distracted. When we say, let this mind be in you, with, with discernment, with, with, when we walk in honor with discernment, we are completely, steadily, focused. We're not going to allow anything to distract us from walking with respect and admiration to aspire to those things. Our business. Uh, this is a busybody. This is a person who stirs the pot of discord, discontent, 
by interfering in others. Here is the aspect of the opposite, to attend to your own personal responsibilities, to attend to your own personal duties, to mind your own business, your personal duties, your personal responsibilities. Don't lose focus on what God has called you to do. Don't lose focus on the aspect of holiness in your life. Don't lose the uh, sight of the fact of how important it is that you uh, walk honorably, that you walk in honor, and, and that you please God himself. The point, again, I believe, uh, is this, and, and this is, a, as I said, sometimes a balancing act, the ability to discern the difference between helping a brother and interfering in their affairs. This, is a, this may not be the best illustration, but I always appreciated my parents. When I got married, they still loved me. They still would counsel me when I would ask for advice. They would still encourage me. They were good role models. But they never interfered in our marriage. They didn't come alongside and say, you know what, you're doing it wrong. You need to do it this way. They had the ability to discern the difference between helping and interfering, and they were able to create that balance. They allowed us to grow together as opposed to be attached. They allowed us to be independent as opposed to be constantly uh, with their hand on us to control things. They weren't that way. The ability to discern, to walk with the sermon, the ability to discern the difference between helping a brother and interfering in their affairs. And yes, we already know from what's previously said in this chapter that our love is to abound towards those, our brethren, there may be of no fault of their own, may need assistance, may need care. We can offer it, but it doesn't mean you should interfere with them. You don't know what God's trying to teach them, what they need to learn from that. So the ability to discern the difference between helping a brother and interfering in their affairs. So walk with discernment, verse 11, with diligence, to work with your own hands. Again, two things to point out there, to work and own hands. To work industrious, self-starter, starter, entrepreneurial, uh, you, you get done with a job and you're looking for the next brick to pick up, the next hammer or the next nail to hammer, you're industrious. Paul's only example in Thessalonica, he was a tent maker. He made tents so he would not be a financial burden to the brethren there in Thessalonica. And by his, his own life he was an example that the, the dignity of manual labor. You see, to the, to the Greeks and to their culture, they regarded manual labor as something to look down on, as disgusting, degrading. It was to be performed by slaves. But as a believer, as a Christian, we, we are to have a work ethic. We are to be industrious. We are to seek to uh, work with our own hands. There is a doctrine of work as you read through the book of, of Proverbs. And I realize some individuals, no fault of their own, they're unable to work. They have an inability to work. And again, that's where we can come alongside and help as it would need be. But on the whole, we are to work, to have a work ethic, be a self-starter, be industrious. Own hands, again, personal work ethic. Manual labor is commended, not degrading. Their excitement, enthusiasm, particularly in Thessalonica, in anticipation of the coming of the Lord, many had actually, in their excitement and anticipation, had set aside work and were sitting there waiting 
because this is one of the issues he addresses here later in the second Thessalonians. They were waiting for the Lord's return. Well, in waiting, they were a burden to the other brethren to meet their needs. And so what he's saying, you know, we need, we need to work with our own hands. There's a personal responsibility and duty there. Don't be sidetracked with diligence. Believers are people. The point is, I believe, the believers are people businesses should want to hire because of their work ethic. Let me share this with you. This is a... This is a Something my dad said, and, and uh, I know he wasn't a fount of wisdom, but there's a lot of things he said that I remember. He said, you know, Ken, when you go out and work, you need to work in such a way that if you ever left that place of work and wanted to go back, would they rehire you? We need to have that type of work ethic and that testimony at the place of business where we work or in the work that we do that they would want to rehire us. You see, believers are people businesses should want to hire because of their work ethic. And you don't, you don't have to wear, I'm a Christian button. You don't have to advertise on your sleeve, I'm a believer in I-10 Faith Bible Church. If you don't cuss, and you don't drink, you immediately are going to stand out. And you will, you, will, you will have questions. They say, well, why don't you come to the bar with us? Or why don't, you, why don't you talk that way? Then your opportunity is there to tell them, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. Well, I know lots of Christians. I know lots of people, and they're not like that. Well, I, I don't have to answer for them. For myself and my conscience for God, that's where I'm at. This is a... Many of you know one of my sons is in the military. He doesn't do those things. And immediately he gets questions. And one individual, one of the, his senior officers had come to him without saying to him, Oh, I know you're a Christian. He said, The army needs people like you and I because we're like-minded. Because the colonel happened to be a Christian also. Listen, we, we believers are people businesses should want to hire because of their work ethic. With diligence. We need to have that testimony on site. Not just verbally speaking it, but to show it and demonstrate it. Then verse 12. Walk in honor with distinction. That you walk properly toward those who are outside. And that you may lack nothing. Two things again. Those outside. Who's that talking about? This is, this is in our witness, this would be those unbelievers. Non-believers might under, understand the message Unbelievers might not understand the message of the gospel, but they are fully able to appreciate the difference between idleness and diligence in the lives of professed followers of Christ. To tell the difference between idleness and diligence in the lives of professed followers of Christ. To serve, walk in honor, to serve with distinction, those outside, towards the witness, towards that lost, lacking nothing. That is in our work. The point I believe is this. We are the, Holy Bi- we are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel, the scoffer's creed. I've said this before, and I think it's an important concept that you grasp. We all have our circle of influence. 
Yours may be bigger than mine. It may be smaller. It may include five people. It may include 500 people. But we each have our circle of influence. Those who are outside. Those who are outside of the gospel. Those who are outside of the word. And you, you may be. Now, I'm not taking away the importance of a verbal witness of telling people about Christ, of sharing the gospel. What I'm saying is, do you, does your life match up to what you're telling them? You may be the only Bible that anybody ever reads. And that would be becoming more and more prominent as the days go on. It used to be that people would have one, two, maybe three or four Bibles in their homes. Now, some homes don't have one. The only time they've ever heard the name of Christ or God would be in profanity. They've never heard the gospel message. They've never heard that Jesus Christ died on the cross for them, even in the United States. So that you would walk properly towards those who are outside, that you may lack nothing in your witness and in your work, that you would represent the gospel well. We are the only Bible the careless world will read. We are the sinner's gospel and the scoffer's creed. This last slide. And I'm going to show you one picture is worth a thousand words. It's a little humorous. But I guarantee this. You may forget everything else I said today. You will not forget this picture. You ready? I'll wait till next Sunday. No, I'll show it to you. You are, for better or worse, you are somebody's Bible. You are being read consistently and constantly. What are they reading? Walk in holiness, walk in harmony, and walk in honor. This is God-pleasing conduct. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, for the word and the time that we can spend in it. Indeed, Father, as we seek to walk in holiness and in harmony and in honor, that we will be energized and strengthened through the Spirit of God to enable us to do so. Not just be challenged, but indeed, Lord, that we will walk uh, in uh, consistently proclaiming you, not only verbally, but also with our life. If you're here this morning, uh, again, the message was for, for the believers, but you're here this morning, and you don't know Christ as your Savior, through maybe the testimonies you heard that were shared, and you would like to have someone show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. If you're here this morning, just raise your hand up. I'll be more than happy to speak with you after the service. I will not embarrass you. Is there anyone like that? Secondly, uh, if you say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me that I would have God-pleasing conduct to walk in harmony, to walk in holiness, to walk in honor. Is anyone like that? Yes, any others? Yes. Father, we thank you for the privilege of worshiping together. We thank you for the privilege of your word. Oh, God, I pray that we will be a consistent testimony to our circle of influence. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.